Empower Radio presents Art as Worship with Vanessa Lowry. Welcome to Art as Worship. Each week we feature stories of artists and explore their process of creation. I'm your host, Vanessa Lowry, and I'm thankful that you're joining me. On this show, I talk with artists of various faiths, working in a wide range of mediums on the common theme of how they use inspiration and creativity as an expression of their spirituality. Learn how their art is an expression of their own connection to however they name God, Jehovah, Allah, Source, the Universe, the Great Mystery, or something else. My hope is that these stories will inspire your creative efforts and your own spiritual expression. My guest today is Alice Ball. Alice is an explorer in the art of papermaking. She gathers raw materials and sometimes embeds things in the wet paper before it dries and creates small collages. Paper items are called ephemera, a word related to things like ghosts, myths, and spirits that can't be held onto for long. They remind you that beauty can be fleeting and that you must be alert to be moved by it or simply to enjoy its existence, however short. Alice often gives her art to her friends. Alice, thank you for being in the studio with me today. It's my pleasure to be here, Vanessa. So how did you get interested in the art of papermaking? It's interesting that that here I am on a show that's about art as worship. I, I guess when I was a child, I thought it would be so much fun to make paper. But I was into my 60s, I guess, or late 50s, when I began to go to a retreat center in California. And there's a woman there who is the program director at the center, and she is an expert paper maker and also a very spiritual woman. And so my whole approach to paper making has always been as a meditative um, endeavor. So that's how I began. And then, of course, I began exploring other ways and reading other things, and I've, I've taken courses from various people in various places over the last 15 years, and now I have a studio in my basement, which is my special place. <laughs> so how do you decide what materials you're going to include in your paper? Oh, my. Well, sometimes I'm just walking or looking, and I see something on the ground that looks interesting. Sometimes it's... Uh, something that's organic, like a leaf that a bug or a, a somebody has eaten through so that I get to see the full uh, structure of it. Sometimes um, it's an idea that I have of an inanimate ob- object, like a rusty nail, where you can put it on the paper and then on the wet paper and then put some vinegar on it to make the rust go into the paper. It's. I think what I love about it the most is there's no rules about what you can and can't do. Sometimes I um, dissect plants, dissect especially flowers, and use them, use the patterns that are on the inside of them, like in the inside of a tulip, which I'm sure you don't go looking for all the time. But there's this wonderful form there that if you put it on a stamp pad and then put it on the paper, you get this beautiful flowy kind of Un, un, uh, unnatural but very natural flower shape. Same thing with peach pits. I mean, I can make paper and embed images of amazing things that surprise me. So, so do you um, start making your paper with an idea of what the finished piece is going to look like? Sometimes, but it rarely does look like that. <laughs> <laughs> so what size pieces of paper do you usually create? The largest ones I've ever made have been maybe um, 
8 by 15, but generally it's more like 5 by 7 or 8, and, and quite often my favorite shape, the one I use the most, I think, is about um, is an oblong of maybe 5 or 6 inches by 2 or 3 inches. Uh, I find it harmonious for lots of reasons. I can use it on greeting cards for people. About three years or more ago, I decided, my goodness, I'm not buying any more greeting cards. Um, I just buy cardstock, and then I decorate it with, with pieces of my art. Um, and so those those sizes, smaller pieces, um, half of a, of a typing paper page, maybe a whole one when I'm really feeling expansive. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So when when you um, create your paper, I, I've never made paper, you know, and so I'm not really familiar with the process. Can you just walk us through a little bit about how how you make it and how long it takes to, you know, take it from start to finish? Well, um, the simplest way is to obtain already processed fiber, generally from a supplier. There are people who do this. Um, that it's called half stuff. That means it's halfway between the plant it came from and the thing you're going to make with. I love that name, half stuff. Isn't that cute? <laughs> and so, you know, that from that from that uh, piece of dry stuff that feels sort of like a piece of cardboard, only it's much finer um, and is acid free, which makes it last longer than something that's made from already developed paper. Uh, you you put it in water. You beat it up. I use a blender. The real purists use a stick, but that seems to take too long for me. <laughs> and then you, uh, I usually use okra, which as you, I looked it up in the dictionary this morning, it is a mus, uh, mucilaginous green vegetable that people eat, but it also has the mucilaginous stuff in it that helps hold the fibers together. So that gooey stuff when you cut okra, that's the stuff that's that it. you're using. That's what I'm using. And I use some water, the fiber, the okra, in a bath. Now, there's a technical definition for paper, which is that it is fiber, suspended in water and then deposited onto a screen. And that's basically what you do is you beat the fiber up, you put it in water, then you use your mold or screen or whatever shape you want to put it in uh, to pull it out and then place it on a flat surface, remove as much water as you can and wait for it to dry and then see what you got when it dries. (laughs) So how long does it typically take for it to dry? Mm, Well... If it's if it's thin and like I like it, it, it usually just takes four or five hours, um, especially if I can put it out in the sun, if it's warm and dry outside. Sometimes if it's thick and wet outside, it might take a day or two. So, And, and at the point that um, it is still very wet is when, if I want to embed things in it, I either drop it in the vat where the pulp is or sometimes um, position it on the on the paper itself before I turn it over to dry it. Well, and you mentioned earlier that you, you know, were always interested in making paper, even when you were a child, but you didn't actually start making paper until you were either retired or close to retirement. Well, I, I don't know that I ever retired because I don't know that I've ever really had a full-time <laughs> employment. But anyway, in my late 50s, I think it was, was when I started, yeah. 
So at what point did you start thinking of yourself as an artist? <gasps> Jeez, what a good question. Uh, when people started telling me that they wouldn't let me hide behind just making paper, um, I still struggle with calling myself an artist because I, I suppose I have such an idea of an artist as something, as, as an achievement of a lot of work and training. Truth is, I have done a lot of work and I have had a lot of training. But I just, I struggle with, with calling myself an artist. However, I have a younger sister who um, is very important to me. And she will tell me, well, you can't behind, you know, you can't just hide behind this anymore. Um, so I don't know when it was. It was a while ago, but I'm still working into it. <laughs> so you're still kind of embracing it a little at a time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and sometimes now I can look at something and... Oh, as as a really fine artist once said to me, I step back and I look at that and I think, now isn't that wonderful? Well, I'm certainly not that person, but I have had that experience and I suppose that's what you do. Is is not everything I do I love, but then that was what my teacher told me from the beginning is you know, one of the commandments is, thou shalt not love any one piece of paper better than another, <laughs> because you learn from the beautiful ones and the not so beautiful ones. So, and, and that's not at all unlike worship for me. Uh, some days worship is really hard. Some days it is a joyous, easy you know, totally carefree thing, but it's always there, and it's not something that you can say, well, it has to be one way or it has to be another. Well, that ties into my next question that um, I was going to ask, how does your spirituality find expression in your art? The best thing I can say about that is that it is nonverbal, and for me, my spirituality is something that, first of all, is evolving always, and that it is something that expresses itself, <coughs> excuse me, slowly and gently and in a way that, that reveals itself to me if I'm watching and if I'm attending and listening so that um, that's kind of a long way of giving you no answer at all. <laughs> Do you want me to try again? Well, you know, it's it's um, as I've been doing this show this year, it's been interesting for me how many artists talk about that listening part. So can you expand a little bit on, on what listening means for you and how you capture what comes in as you listen? Okay. Um, you know, I... I can hardly be out of doors, which is the source of a lot of, of where I get my ideas and things that I want to try. Um, for instance, a couple of years ago, I was visiting a friend who was having the usual after Christmas blahs, and we hadn't seen each other during the holidays. I looked out her window while we were drinking tea, and I see this kind of tired lemongrass plant, and I said, oh, I said, what is that? She said, oh, it's lemongrass. I've got to cut it back. I said, wait a minute. I think I want it. 
because I had read that you could make paper out of lemongrass. It didn't matter whether it was still green or whether it was dried out. Uh, And she said, sure. And from that, I got into quite an exploration of how many different fibers there are around. Now, listening to me is not just hearing words, but it's listening to what the things around me, what the creation is saying to me, what other people's actions or uh, just just being attentive to the world I'm in, paying attention to the light, hearing the music. Um, that's, that's, I suppose, you know, if I were a Buddhist, maybe I would say just learning how to be in the now, which is not a bad idea for a Christian either, but, <laughs> and probably no easier for any of us. Right. But that's, that's really what I think I mean by listening is, is being present to what is and at the same time seeing the possibilities of what is to to do something different or to be something different. So when you get ready to actually create your paper, do you have any kind of a process that you use to connect with your divine source or to connect to that that inspiration to to start working? Well, I try to be still and centered in my studio. I close the door. I don't have a phone in there. Um, I can see outside. And just be still and sort of mess around with the things that are around to figure out what I want to do. Sometimes I have a plan of, uh, well, today's the day I want to cook the cattail that's been soaking for several weeks or, you know, where, where I know that I've got to begin a process that will take several hours just to create the fiber that can be then created into paper. Um, and sometimes I just really want to get in there and make paper, in which case I use half stuff and can get going in a half an hour. Um, but I think, again, it's just attending to where my own heart is and where my own spirit is at the time. Um, and sometimes it's real messy, and so it's time to just make a bunch of messy circles or whatever. But once I get going, the first thing I always try to do is to make a circle. And I have a form that I form them with. And I have found that if I can make a dozen circles, then I'm probably ready to start doing something else. <laughs> uh, just this week, I made a dozen circles, and I was uh, taking them off the, the place where they'd been drying this morning. And I thought, you are really pitiful. That just was where I was. And I can see, in retrospect, that I was kind of in a, in a discombobulated place. Sometimes I can make beautiful circles and... I think, well, this is really a good day to make paper. (laughs) (laughs) So you let the circles kind of let you dictate if it's time to do some other things as well. Correct. Yes, of course. So when you have um, a piece of paper that doesn't come out the way that you would like for it to, do you then reuse it and create another piece from that? Or do you just leave it as it is and say, this is... This is what it was that day. Well, it depends on how wet it is. If it's if it's still on the mold, 
um, there's a great phrase we have called kiss it off. And that's where you just turn it over and put it back in the vat and no one ever knows. (laughs) But um, often I will make a piece and it's dry and I don't know what to do with it and I don't like it, but I just put it in my little store of stuff. Then later I can take it and I find, oh, hey, that little part of it's good. So I can very easily, um, a great way to to separate paper when you've made it by hand is just to draw a line with a wet paintbrush with water and then you can just separate it, pull it apart. And no one ever knows that you didn't make it that way. (laughs) (laughs) So I find good things and even the pieces that are not so lovely. Um, But I keep them. Other people sometimes will want them or use them for something. And I also can stamp on them and try things out. It's, you know, I don't throw them away. Okay. <laughs> so um, you were you were talking earlier about, you know, the process and how long it takes you and that kind of thing. Do you work on your paper every day? Do you spend some time in your studio every day? I wish I could. No, I don't. Um, I'm more likely to be sort of like a binge maker. Um Starting the oh, maybe Tuesday afternoon of this week, for instance, um, I started working on some things, and I had I found some beautiful pokeberries, um, which I had always read about making dye from pokeberries. Mm-hmm. So I started working on them, and this afternoon, when I get back home, I will be taking the fiber out of the pokeberries to see what what the red stuff really looks like. So. You know, that's a four-day process, and in the meantime, I was making other paper. Then it might be a week or so before I even go back in there after I've finished making it and cleaning it all up. Um, So, you know, ideally, I would do it every day, but nothing else is ideal, so why should I do that? (laughs) (laughs) So do you actually schedule time in your studio when you're scheduling other things for your week? No, no good idea might have to take that home with me (laughs) well you know for some people scheduling works and for some people they like it to be more spontaneous i think i could do it every day if if the other things that are in my life would let me manage to do that um but there's a lot of starting and stopping um and as as with life oh oh yeah you (laughs) (laughs) thanks for the reminder um but you know, keeping the keeping the pulp fresh makes better paper. If it sits too long, it gets kind of uh, mushy and doesn't hold its shape. And you know, there are a lot of little things like that you learn over time. But I, I know I don't do it every day. I think if I tried to do it every day, it might drive me berserk, and it would not be the great um, pleasure that it is as I use it now. Well, and how do you think the the emotion and the feeling of pleasure in your work affects the outcome of your work? Well, I think it's it's hugely important, uh, both in the the sensuality of it. You know, I mean, here we are talking about something that is visual and sensual and uh, oral, as you might mess with it or bend it or you know make noise with it. So um, those are the pleasures for me, are the, the amazing things when you, well, like one of my favorite things for just making a, a simple piece of paper is to simply drop 
those little um, feathery seeds from the grass heads that are right now you know, kind of purpley. When you drop them in the water, they just explode, explode like little tiny birds. And then you stir them up, and then behold, as you pull it out on the screen, they're just in their own little random way, like a bunch of birds that suddenly decide to fly up. Um, and I love to do that, and it's so much fun to see the surprise that comes when you pull it out. And if you don't like it, of course, you can kiss it off, as <laughs> as previously mentioned. <laughs> and I love that phrase. It's such a cool phrase, kiss it off. <laughs> well, I'll tell you the other one that I adore is uh, when you're starting, if you've got the pulp in the vat and you've been doing something else and you come back to start up again, then you need to agitate it. But there's a word for that, too. It's called hogging the vat. And that means you put your hand way down at the bottom and hog it around. And then it's all stirred and you can start to work. (laughs) So it sounds like with some of your paper, you actually put the pieces into the mix before you put it on the screen. Do you also sometimes place things onto the paper after it's on the screen? Sometimes, yeah. Um, Depends on, you know, if it's something kind of delicate, like a a leaf that, you know, in the fall, I just love to go outside and see those moth-eaten, animal-eaten leaves. And um, especially ones that have all the all the interior taken away and all you have is the skeleton of this leaf. Those kinds of things um, I generally try to place because then they don't get broken up so much. They wouldn't be able to withstand the hogging process, I guess. Probably (laughs) not. So how has your art affected your spiritual evolution or how has your spiritual evolution affected your art? Well, I think it is interactive. Uh, how it's affected my own evolution, um, the art itself, doing it, um, has has given me, you know, when you're doing things with your hands and you're very occupied with that, somehow that allows your spirit to, to fully flower. Um, and not terribly articulate about this, but but that's what being able to spend time in a studio quietly doing these things, making these things, experiencing them, has also given me an experience of myself as creative, uh, has given me an experience of myself as, you know, sometimes laughing and just the joy and sometimes the ridiculousness of what I'm trying to do. Um, It has challenged me to try things that seem rather silly, and sometimes they turn out just great, uh, surprisingly so. I suppose, you know, that, that the doing of it has affected my way of being able to be acquainted with myself. And I really think that one of my favorite things, I keep little quotations in my studio, and one of the ones that I just love um, is from the book Soulmates by Thomas More. And he says, the truth is the whole world and all of life are nothing but the raw materials for soul making. And in a certain sense, that's how I look at my paper is that it is the raw material for my soul making. Um, 
And that's, I don't know, I think that's interactive between how it affects me and how I approach what I do. So if you were going to teach someone else um, your process, either about making the paper or how it influences your spirituality, what would, is there, what would you tell them? I would tell them that it's best done quietly um, without a lot of talk. It's done with trust of yourself and the process. Um, and it's best done leaving your judgment at the door. Uh, some time ago, I had a grandmother, her daughter, and her granddaughter. Uh, and the grandmother and I are similar in age, and we're friends. But the three of them were at my studio. I have a little rule, which is nobody watches me make paper. If you want to watch me pa- make paper, I get to watch you make paper. So that means if you come in my studio <laughs> to watch me make paper, you get to make paper, too, before you leave. Well, this woman... Uh, was having a really hard time at the time, and um, she was very hesitant, and I said, you can't leave without trying this. Well, she tried a couple of times and was really judging herself because the lines were not right, or I don't know what she wanted. And then there was one that that was just gorgeous, that was very irregular, and um, there were folds in it, and she was all ready to dump it, and I said, don't you dare. And, you know, that's what I want people to discover, is that as you make a piece of paper, it's giving you new eyes to see what it is. And I suppose in a certain way that's that's what my relationship, dare I speak of it, to my creator is, is as I am open to that presence, that presence is open to me. Well, and I love the part of your story where you were talking about, you know, she looked at her paper and judged it as not being good, and you looked at it and judged it as being beautiful. And it and, was. <laughs> and how, how sometimes if we can um, step out of our own judgment of what our work is, we realize that there is great beauty there. You know, that's really the gift of having other people making paper with you. And I, I must say that uh, the place I go in California, over time has developed. There are two other people there. We all live in different places. We rarely see each other or communicate at all, except when we're together at making paper. And we don't always talk. In fact, we don't talk. Um, but they are the ones that began to give me an appreciation for my own approach because what I do is different from what either of them does. And yet, you know, I was judging myself by what they were doing, not by what I was doing. Meanwhile, they're sitting there enjoying what I'm doing and having the... And so I I suppose, you know, that's why artists need to talk to each other is, is to get the feedback from each other, give the feedback to each other, which again is part of, I suppose, why I'm a Christian and why I enjoy being a part of a Christian community is that 
I don't have all the answers. And I do need those other people as a part of my own spiritual development. And probably they need me. I think you're probably right. <laughs> so I know that you um, don't have any aspirations of selling your work commercially. Right. But is there a way that listeners can get in touch with you if they wanted to talk to you about paper? Well, sure. Um, I suppose the best thing to do, I mean, I'd be happy to receive emails. Um, I have a really hard email address. It's aliceball at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> have a son on the west coast who got us all early into gmail and that was nice to have my own name um and i'd I'd be happy to you know see what you want to do i've i've done this with small with with kids who are much more adventuresome than adults um and i'm happy i'm happy to talk about it i'm happy to share with folks about what I know, if they'll share what they know with me. <laughs> well, and I think that's really the true gift is that we all have something to contribute and something to learn from each other. Definitely. So Alice Ball, A-L-I-C-E-B-A-L-L at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Well, that's wonderful. And I am, um, you know, it's, it's amazing how fast our, our half hour goes, but is there any last thing that you would like to tell our listeners about how they can tap into their own creativity and how they might use that as an expression for their spirituality? Don't fight it. Go for it. That is wonderful advice. (laughs) Alice, thank you so much for being with us today. It really has been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. You're very welcome. So, and thank you to our listeners. I welcome your suggestions and comments on this or any of our shows. You can find links to all of our shows on Empower Radio and on our website, artasworship.net. Please come share your stories of Art as Worship on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Art as Worship. Listen in next week as we talk with another artist about their, their, their creative process and how it connects with their spiritual journey. May you have an inspired and creative week. Namaste. Namaste.